You're listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network. Now the largest new media platform on the web and your number one source for after-show entertainment. Very good, Buzz Studios in Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menunos and Bing.com, and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is AfterBuzz TV's Falling Skies After Show. We'll break down tonight's episode and get you all the latest news and gossip. If you'd like to buzz in on tonight's show, you can buzz us at 424-256-1729. That's 424-256-1729. 29. And now, another post-game wrap-up show for your favorite TV show. It's AfterBuzz TV's Falling Skies After Show. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Bing's for doing we here. Doing Season 3 of Falling Skies, Episode 1. Technically part one of the season premiere on Thin Ice. I am not a familiar voice or a face here, and neither is my co-host for tonight, but hey. Uh, last year's host, uh, Daryl, will rejoin us uh, in the coming weeks. But I am Phil Svitek, joined alongside Nando Velasquez. Hi, thank you for having me on this show. It's really exciting. I know, and, and Nando's a huge fan. For those of you who uh, check out the network, he's on. Uh, he's a sci-fi geek. He's uh, he's doing defiance. <laughs> I'm a nerd, right? That's what you're trying to say? I'm a nerd? Hey, it's Polite all right. Way. There's nothing wrong with being there's, a nerd. No, there's nothing wrong with it. I, I own it. I own it. I admit it. <laughs> so um, we're very excited to bring you tonight's episode. Um, engineering for us, we have Marissa Serafini. I figured I'd give her a shout out as Hello, well. Um, so uh, b- before we get into fully tonight's episode, we have to kind of talk about the seven months that that has passed since. Yeah, we've well, last seen the the team. I mean, when we last left off in uh, in season two, the cliffhanger in season two was this new alien. The big one was really this new alien that lands that uh, the red eye the re- from the rebel skitters and uh, the second mass go to take a look at, and uh, we just barely see a glimpse of this new uh, player on the falling skies chess field, so to speak. Be and we have no idea what's going on. Also, uh, we still are, we're trying to wonder about what's going on with a new new. United States, and we also see one of those little, little insects, those uh, eye worms, I believe they're calling them, uh, going into Hal, which was really, really a creepy, creepy little ending. So we, we, I think, inspired by the Matrix. (laughs) Yeah, it's a little bit of inspired by the Matrix. Totally, I could totally see that. But really, really interesting character that they brought in, an interesting tool that they brought in season two, and Hal is infected. So uh, we know that, plus uh, the Overlord's dead. We saw that happen, so we're wondering what's going to happen to Karen, since Karen was the one that was tethered to the Overlord and spoke on behalf of the Overlord. We, last we saw her, she was literally skittering up a wall, getting away from uh, getting away from the second mass, from the rescue attempt. Uh, and we also want to see what what's going on with uh, pretty much everyone that was captured, uh, or at least at least we'll we'll find out a little bit later in the episode. Everyone was captured. Something seems to be going on with certain people from the second mass, from from the core group of uh, of the rebel of the alliance there. Uh, so when we pretty much start off, it's uh, it's no more second mass now. It's all about the new new United States of America, which and is we, Charleston. I know, and we have you know we have a president with Tom, and he yeah. hates the fact that he's called the president, which I love. And he's the president of really what is twenty bl- city blocks. He's just the president of okay. twenty blocks, <laughs> as mentioned by him. And you know, uh, um, it upsets me that he's a little bit skeptical about that because you know you, you got to you got to start somewhere. Yeah, you know, um, and. 
you know, he's kind of, I don't think he's struggling to be the leader within. Obviously, we'll kind of talk more at length about that. But um, it's interesting how he's filling that um, void. Yeah. Well, he, he, he is a professor and he knows about military tactics. His whole thing the first two seasons was he was somebody that was uh, in a classroom and here he is called out to war and he's using his knowledge of uh, military history to take command of the second mass, starting out as second in command to uh, Colonel Weaver and then uh, ultimately becoming the go-to guy for everything and now being president of, uh, of, this, of this faction of the new, new United States. And uh, you have Dan, who's risen the ranks to Colonel. Yes, Dan is Colonel now, so uh, which is really interesting. So yeah, <laughs> Colonel so, Weaver. So we get that in, uh, new equipment. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, you got to love the new equipment. I mean, when we saw the opening scene, the first sign of the new equipment was uh, was Ben running out there and putting this little egg bomb with some really intricate um, design on it uh, all throughout the, uh, the the camp that they're trying to rescue uh, Diego and the other kids that are uh, that are being used by the skitters there so and then uh, we see we see bullets pretty much hitting the mechs this is this is totally new ground this this first battle that we see in the opening is really the humans taking over and actually causing damage to the skitters and cause they know exactly where to hit the skitters they know exactly to go under the chin and uh and pope coming in shooting what looks like ordinary guns but they're actually hurting the mechs which is amazing well it's interesting they they, uh they accomplished two sets of things in that opening scene they accomplished uh the fact that they know all of those things and the fact that you know so they oh my god we're doing so amazing but then there's that false sense of oh my god we just did something and pope is like hey let's celebrate and then we get the ambush. So they're covering those two things all in the same sort of scene. Yeah. There's a lot that's going on if you pay attention. And uh, and what we get to see is a new mech, the mega mechs, as, uh, as they're calling them. And I believe uh, there was another name that uh, we find out later Cochise calls, uh, calls them. I have to look it up. But it was a, it was a more um, scientific name. But these mega mechs come out. They're like something out of Godzilla. They're something out of like Pacific Rim, they look like, like miniature, uh, miniature robots. And they come out kicking butt they're like humans with extra wings with with lots of uh bullets and uh and then the funny thing the cavalry literally comes in on horseback and it's uh, and it's nolan and it's tom and it's tom nolan with this new alien this new alien called uh well they call him cochise which is a really really hilarious name when you think about it especially with the whole cavalry and he uh we find out that the name of that alien is the volm so and uh tom comes with this gun that just pretty much devastates everything. It's just an awesome, awesome gun. So again, more, more, more tech. Uh, we realize that very quickly that uh, they're getting alien tech to fight uh, to fight the overlords. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, is also uh, just that false sense of just the fact that they needed to come in. That Tom knew that he had to come in at that moment. Yeah, it, you know, uh, just speaks to what's kind of going on. Because so like Tom, that. Tom's a fighting president. He, he does not stay behind. Yeah, and it's interesting, especially, you know, you'd think, like, he has a kid and things like that. I mean, I like the fact that Anne accepts her role of, you know, I got to kind of take care of the baby while he's now the president, but he's also a crazy president who's going to go into the field. Yeah, but all his kids are fighting. Remember in the past, uh, well, in the past couple episodes, Tom was really, really sensitive about having, especially his youngest, out there doing anything. He was really, really sensitive to it. And here, here comes his youngest throwing, you know, putting bombs out, doing recon putting himself in danger and at risk and Tom is okay with that all of a sudden which is really really interesting 
It is. Um, now, before we fully dive into the episode, in the uh, not seven months for us, but almost seven months, <laughs> uh, here at After Buzz TV, we've had a chance to complete and release a movie called Adventures of Zero Buddies. Um, it has the likes of Henry Winkler, Beth Bears before she was in Two Broke Girls, Kathy Lee Gifford, Artie Lang, Christopher Lloyd, Christopher McDonald. So it's a very funny movie. It's... Uh, it's critics are saying it's Dexter meets Dumb and Dumber. Uh, we are calling it the first serial killer buddy comedy of all time. Um, it's very very funny. It's out on iTunes now, and uh, I know a lot of you um, you know support the Falling Skies after show last season, and so you know in order for us to continue to deliver this amazing show to you guys for free, you know it helps every now and then if you guys can support us. Um, and you can do that by basically for the price of a Happy Meal, you can purchase this movie. And uh, that doesn't mean it's a bad movie. We just want to make sure we got it too cheap. Cause a Happy want- Meal makes you happy. You get a toy out of it. I it's know. not a bad thing. I love so, getting a Happy Meal every now and then. There you go. Uh, I know Marissa, Marissa loves her Happy Meals. How many toys you got now, Marissa? Uh, too many to count. <laughs> so, uh, Adventure to Serial Buddies. It's out on iTunes and other digital platforms. If for some reason, which baffles me if you're listening to this podcast especially since it's on itunes if you can't find it go to serialbuddies.com mm-hmm. the amazing part is you can't misspell it. you can put in cereal like the cereal you eat cereal buddies or you can put cereal as in the cereal killers but either way serialbuddies.com it, it comes right up yeah okay check it out easy enough so um back to the episode um let's talk about how um uh, because it's interesting enough th- there's two things going on here i love you know there's a lot of talk of okay human 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 this is a human war Mm -hmm. the human spirit and things like that and obviously that's exemplified through how trying to to figure out how to walk which obviously is now revealed in tonight's episode and yet it's going uh there's that um opposition where okay it's the human spirit but it's also how much of it is the alien race or whatever he has within him oh you mean that hal has within him or um, not the hal that uh that uh tom has with him no, I'm talking about how. Oh, you're talking about how now? Oh, about what happened to him? Oh, yeah, with the with being crippled. Yeah, I yes. mean that's a really big shock. Him getting carried out and put in that wheelchair, yeah. and everyone seems to know it has to do with Karen, who who was like sucking his face at the end <laughs> of uh, season two. So uh, she's got mighty powerful lips, uh, but it was also that parasite that we saw that was uh, that um, eye worm that that got into him. So uh, yeah, I mean it's it's actually amazing how uh, accepting. Everyone is of Hal with the crippling as opposed to what what was uh, going through with Ben uh, when he uh, got de-harnessed. You know, I think people are just getting more and more used to this and uh, he doesn't seem to have any opposition. No one questions his loyalty, but he's having these weird dreams. He's sleeping with Maggie, but he's having these weird dreams. He's having all this weird stuff going on. The doctors don't know exactly what's wrong with him. Uh, you know, even with the Volm technology that uh, that Anne is getting, I suppose they they still don't know exactly what's going on with him. So, so it is really interesting what's going on with Hal, and uh, I think he's always had uh, he's always had a pining for Karen. I mean, Karen was his girlfriend when she was abducted and taken by uh, by the overlords by the the Ashveti. So. Uh, you know, it's not really – it's totally feasible that he would have a dream about her. So he's holding that secret from Maggie and from everybody right now, which is uh, which is interesting, especially when we see the ending. But it's also interesting, you know, um, again, only Maggie would know that something's even wrong. Obviously, she doesn't know what is exactly wrong, and then eventually she finds the boots and, you know, there's yeah. uh, the sticks or whatever whatever's residue is on there. But for everyone else, it's just normal – 
human behavior. You know, uh, they're at the uh, infirmary and, and uh, you know, he's recovering nice. Yeah. You know, if it wasn't for you, Maggie, he wouldn't be doing so well. And again, it's it, it it's interesting to see how that's going to – I want to see how symbolic that will be and what, what what that will mean once it breaks and they find out that it wasn't his human spirit. It was only because he's infected yeah. You get what I'm saying? I, I think I do. I I, uh, I don't want to talk about uh, the second hour because uh, there's a little bit of that in the second hour too. So uh, it is uh, it is something to be said that, uh, that again, you know, his human spirit is apparently getting him uh, to walk a little bit more in front of everybody, but then to see in, in the cliffhanger at the end that he can have a completely normal walk and have sex with somebody who has their back glowing... <laughs> Lovely, amazing up. scene. Amazing yeah, scene. I, I I like that glow in the dark sex type thing. So it's it's really interesting. <laughs> not not to uh, not to the producers, but I guess uh, I guess what happens after someone like uh, Karen gets harnessed for such a long time, and I know harness sounds sexual too, but I mean really the, the real harnessing um, that it goes inside her skin and it becomes part of her and it glows like that. That was weird. So yeah, and, and uh, obviously um, there was one moment um, before we cut to a commercial break of like um, you know when they're having their kind of secret meeting. Yeah. Um, they're talking about, okay, uh, you know, the, there's this overlord and things like that. And, uh, oh, Karen. And that's kind of, I think that's literally where we end it on. It's just someone says the name Karen and that's it. Yeah. Um, so, oh, when they were talking about the new overlord, which would be human. Yes. Yeah. That's when, uh, Tom, Tom figures, everyone figures out it's Karen. I mean, after, after the finale of season two, she just, it just seemed kind of obvious that she seems to have, uh, continued even when the overlord died to continue the same attitude she's had maybe from a mild, mild mind meld with uh with the overlord she is the overlord no question uh you know if in a moment of desperation who does who does hal ultimately go with the humans or or you know you can even why don't if you want to really specify does he go with maggie or does he go with karen you know what i mean like, wow. does he does he uh does he turn his back on humans uh yeah it's a good question cuz i think uh I think he would if he didn't have a parasite within him, he would automatically stay with the humans. I think he I think he truly does love Maggie and uh and he realizes Karen's lost, but he has this parasite in him that's obviously compelling him. And and the interesting thing is that uh and, and I guess we'll find out about that in the second hour is whether or not um whether or not Karen is really controlling his legs or not. Mm-hmm. Which is really, really interesting because he can't walk during the day. He can't walk when he's with Maggie. He tries. He's got those crutches. But then at night he falls asleep and miraculously he's in the woods having sex with Karen. So <laughs> and what? why does she want to have sex with him so bad? I mean, I mean, she's not human anymore. So is she trying to get impregnated? Is she trying to create some kind of weird harnessed uh, human <laughs> parasited human hybrid baby type thing or what's going on with that that's, that's an interesting notion I mean uh, that's kind of a Prometheus you know the, yeah right for those of you who didn't see Prometheus I mean there's there there's a woman who has an alien baby that's yeah. born and things like that so that that is an interesting take um, I mean, it could be symbolic of how weak men are to sex. <laughs> um, yeah, that could be. <laughs> so, I mean, both theories, I guess, could be right in their own way. Absolutely. Um, yeah, but um, I'm interested to see where it goes and, and uh, see how far. Again, we're kind of left in this episode, particularly, you know, with Maggie, you know, finding the boots and being like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, cute, ominous music on that one. Don't I know. <laughs> that was, that was. Um, 
Speaking of babies, let's talk about uh, Ann and Tom. And it was it was interesting. Uh, they're kind of dynamic in how you know Tom's to to a degree struggling with being a father and and being a leader of this. And and you know he makes the mistake where he's in the infirmary and uh, where where Arthur really wants to tell him something with yeah. the twelve men. By the way, is that some sort of tie into like twelve angry men? Like, what's the symbolism of twelve? Ooh. I feel like there has to be something. That might be something. I don't know. I, I just thought at the time he narrowed it down to 12, from 50 to 12. But I feel like, t- Marissa, what? what, what in, in 12 disciples. 12, 12 disciples. Ooh. Yeah, there's definitely something there. Okay. All right. Well, we'll have to keep take a note of it and keep watching and see if 12 has something to do with it. Um, you know, I, I think any time they, they don't necessarily just throw out numbers. But he did get shot by only one person. <laughs> so Only, you know, and I and I was rewatching it. It took me. Uh, I had to put on the uh, subtitles to to see because I thought he said, I thought he said, "Oh, Evan, here you are." Something like I thought, Evan, who's Evan? You know, but he he said it's a time. I think he said right. Yeah, he said, "Oh, I didn't realize it was even time." Something like it that. was time. I didn't realize it was time. Yeah, and then he goes, "Oh, it's you." Yeah, yeah. So I th- I thought for a moment they had given away the name and I just didn't catch it so I kept having to de- re uh, replay that moment and I put the subtitles on I was like oh they didn't reveal anything, <laughs> um, but obviously it's it's a person that uh, he trusts um, it's a person anytime you know especially in these quote murder mysteries not that falling skies is a murder mystery by any means, um, but it's always that familiar person you know that that suckers them in yeah and it's a great wrinkle to boot and and especially in a it's a great wrinkle right now considering that the humans have befriended the rebel skitters and the volm and that there is a lot of people like pope you know pope's still hanging out there and and his crew still hanging out there's but there's still some anti um alien sentiment there so really it could be a lot of people it could be for different reasons it could be any reason at all uh you know uh good 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 point about uh pope not that there's a lot in this episode with him but might as well just you know briefly touch on him uh him and lot you know talk of mexico and things like that and it was interesting how how he had him going um but then pope says you know don't i always have a plan here's what i love about pope in this episode if uh for first well first of all pope's a total fan favorite he's a total you know he's like the han solo like the rebel bad boy of uh of falling skies i'd say and the anti-hero but he keeps trying to escape he's always he never he's never satisfied being with the second mess he eventually comes back begrudgingly to help out because he realizes it's, it's ultimately in his best interest to help tom and to help the second mass out but here he is and he's almost domesticated in a way and uh, he's got a little part of uh, the United, United States of America called Pope Town, and he's got a bar, and uh, and he's become he's like welcoming people into his house. And then uh, somebody, like one of the guys that he would usually hang out with, I didn't catch a name, starts saying a little bit of anti-alien talk in the bar, and he promptly shushes him. He promptly says, "Hey, I don't want to talk about that." And then to avoid any uh, any doubt from anybody about where his intentions are, he buys everyone drinks. Which, which is a good, a good way to do it. But this is Pope actually wanting to hang. And then when they start talking about the plan in Mexico, he does mention, I have a plan. But it was really interesting because I'm not sure if he was just saying that like he was talking in the bar to just shut somebody up or if he's really, really kind of uh, – it's an uneasy happiness. I'm not going to say he's totally happy there. He, he does sense the trouble. He's not super alien friendly. He still doesn't trust the skitters. You could tell. But, but this is the first time you kind of see him kind of – almost happy to be there which is weird for pope it's a weird place to see pope at but you know that as long as pope 
is uh, is a part of the camp. Pope is bound to tr- cause trouble. He's he's bound to question authority. He's bound to question a lot of people. So it, it, for at least the beginning of the season, it's a really good place for us to see Pope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, for me, I, I you know, um, not that I'm a blind follower or anything, but you know, um, especially, uh, especially in these sort of situations, you, you know, um, fortunately, there's no time for hesitation and things like that. You can't, you know, in life, for me, you can't be one foot in, one foot out, yeah. and expect any results. And so, for me, uh, Pope has always kind of represented that, and and so he may be a fan favorite. He's not my fan. Oh, he's not. He's not. I like Pope. I'm just going to say it. You're I like one foot him. in, one foot out kind of guy. I'm a one foot in, one foot out kind of guy. Maybe I am. I don't know. Maybe that's what I, maybe that's what I aspire to be to. Fair enough. One foot in, one foot out. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, to, you know, not to, not to get too off topic and hopefully this is on topic, but, um, here's the, you know, uh, Tom, go see a little known movie called Mr. Majestic, um, with, um, uh, uh, Charles Marissa, look it up. Okay. I'm trying to remember. Uh, if I know anyway, that one. but uh, he's so. Colin Cunningham's Carey. in that one. What's that? Is that the one with Jim Carrey? No, that's the majestic. Jim Carrey. That's the majestic. That's a big difference. I was cut. Uh, Marissa, <laughs> and you're a film aficionada. Um, no, but 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 the point of the movie is basically this one guy. Oh, is but so, it's spelled really weird. No. Yes, it's kind of spelled really weird. Well, okay. Um, it's it's from like the 1970s. Yeah, uh, 1974. Uh, who's the main guy? Uh, Charles Bronson. There you go. Okay. So Charles Bronson plays this one character who's so committed to a cause, which is basically picking watermelons, right? Mm-hmm. And you got you have a guy like Lyle that says, "Hey, he his verbatim his line is, hey, let's go to L.A. Then next day we could be in Mexico and getting all the babes we want.'" And uh, a Char- a Charles Bronson says to him, "I've been to L.A., I've been to Mexico, and I've been laid." You know what I mean? And that's just a full commitment to a cause. And, and uh, that's why, for me, Pope... I don't like Pope. He's not committed to the full cause. I'm, hopefully that... Are you saying Pope hasn't done any of those three things? Is that what you're saying? I believe I believe he has done those three things, and that's why he should be more committed to humanity. <laughs> okay. Things like that. All right. Um, got it. <laughs> there you go. Um, going back to the... Um, Let's get back to the baby. There you go. Let's go back to Ale- baby Alexis. Alexis. <laughs> Alexis Denise Glass Mason. Yes, good. You got. It. You, I wrote it down too. So uh, interesting. So yeah. First of all, well, we see that um, unfortunately the one thing that happens when Alexis is being born is Arthur. Poor Arthur gets killed by the mole. But uh, but Alexis, uh, it's just a surprising birth, and we get a little clue that something's not right with Alexis. This was one we. Well, this was one weird baby. Yeah, this is a weird baby. <laughs> I mean, uh, and especially just the, the, you know, uh, just the way they shot it and portrayed it, this devil baby. <laughs> it's oh, it's Damien it. from The Omen, almost. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and so obviously we didn't get a lot more than that, um, but there's disaster there. Just a very creepy baby staring at his mom. <laughs> his mom, Moonbloodgood, which I know a lot of people would probably stare at her anyway, but not a baby like uh, that. Not in that way. Not in that way. No. Um and and again, it's it's to me they didn't they didn't go to the full extent, but the um, the separation of Tom of like okay, I'm a a father figure, but b I'm also now this president and things like that. Yeah. And, you know, because he had that struggle of after Arthur's death of you know he was trying to tell me something, but mm-hmm. then he's like, you know what, 
you guys handle it. I'm going to go be a father. Well, that's the interesting thing that I think we're going to see more of without getting into predictions, really, but that we're going to see more of this episode uh, or this season, I think, because, again, Tom was somebody that was very protective over his kids. If his kids had to fight, he he trusted Hal. Hal was the oldest, and he felt Hal could handle himself under his care. But as far as Ben and Matt, uh, he was he didn't feel the same way about that. In fact, uh, well, Ben Ben got captured, so but even then he was still protective of him when he came back because he didn't know what would happen to him. And then Matt was just the youngest, but here he is becoming president, letting his kids do the fighting, letting his kids take over like major roles in in the battle. And then the one time he chooses family over his duties when he can find out a little bit more information about the mole, something bad happens. Yeah. So uh, it's going to definitely be some a struggle with him that every time he chooses one over the other, the other falters or something major happens now this isn't necessarily important but do you do you think he's doing it out of duty to the citizens of okay if you know because he says early on you know um everyone's going to be in the battle or whatever you know after they come back from the first kind of assault or whatever you want to call it you know he says you know i'm not just the president i'm going to go into the field he's a fighting champion yeah and so is he is he setting by example you know um Especially, you know, people always get kind of criticized when they're in, in high ranks of like, oh, why don't you send your kids as well if you think it's good? And so he might be setting that as an example to the citizens. I think I think there's some responsibility there. I think he feels the responsibility that, that if he, he's going to put – I mean, don't, don't forget, he's a professor. He studies this stuff. He's never had to – you know, and, and you see bits and pieces of this when in the past two seasons when his plans go into play and he realizes he's – dealing with real people who are going out there and taking big risks that uh, now he's a president. He doesn't want to sit back. He has a job, a desk job, technically. He could be like a professor and start pointing to a board and saying, this is what I want you guys to do. This is what I want you to study. And you do it. Uh, But now he realizes, no, my place isn't behind a desk. My place is out there. And of course, yeah, because of that responsibility and his kids want to fight, too. He lets them join in because that's responsibility that he has. Um, let me ask you, in terms of his speech to the people, you know, um, he, he obviously announces the newest citizen and then gets into Arthur's death. Um, is there anything behind saying, I mean, you kind of almost ended on bad news to agree, but then I guess he picks it up. So start with good news, go to bad news, pick it up with the good news again that, you know, for seven months it's the human spirit that's really prevailing, not necessarily the weapons. I think, I think it's just, uh, I think it's just an example of how inexperienced he still is. He's still learning to be president. So Mm -hmm. it's not... It probably wasn't the best speech in the world to, to no, give. I, I was trying to inspiring. read, and I was like, "What is is that a good speech? Was he trying to give a good speech?" Because you know, <laughs> and you know, the irony for obviously of, of tonight's episode is it's it's not about the weapons, things like that. It's about more of the human spirit. And then uh, uh, as they're having their scotch and things like that, and the big secret gets revealed is this big gun. Yes. So say what you want, Tom. But it's not the human spirit. Mm. Well, I guess it's not. Well, it's definitely not even the human weapon. It's the Volm weapon that they're yeah. building. So uh, so it, it is an interesting uh, weapon that we see at the very end. If it is a weapon, I think there's a question about what this thing is. Because there still is uh, a little bit of a question about this uh, new character, uh, Cochise, and, and this race. <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, you got to love Cochise. I mean, it, it's a perfect name for some reason. It's just It just fits him. Uh I wonder. I wonder if Pope named them. That sounds like something Pope would have named them. But uh, if you think about it, but uh, but yeah, it's really really interesting to see what's going on because I think even the the rebel. I think even Red Eye and the rebel skitters. Uh, 
there it's an uneasy alliance and i did see some reference to the film being compared to the french in the american revolution that the french would help out but the americans knew that the french weren't just willing to help out for the sake of their own heart they had their own interest yeah uh, in i mean there that too i mean that was brought up uh you know, Tom brought it up in the sense of, you know, did the, the, those guys really trust Stalin? Yeah, exactly, in World War II. You know, so, trip. I mean, uh, that's, you know, perhaps more direct reference. Yeah, probably <laughs> more, well, a more modern reference for sure. Yeah. But, of course, Tom's going to uh, refer to history books to, to make uh, a really good analogy. Yeah, you know, so, I mean, here's the thing. I, uh, I would love to, you know, people kind of know, or at least fans in particular, are perhaps more familiar with World War II. You know, then I think perhaps it goes to World War One, and then maybe Vietnam, maybe Iraq, but that might be too modern. Too to, modern. To bring World War Two is perfect for international fans too, who don't know the American Revolution. Actually, exactly. So. Well, I would love uh, the American Revolution. I think uh, there's such a weird history. Or, um, even the Civil War actually has some amazing stuff that I'd love for them to tie into more. I mean, th- th- there's a story with Lincoln um, where he had a meeting, and he had to, he basically he had to convince this one general to get on his side, mm-hmm. and that was the general that was going to win the war. Um, oh, this is the one who let um, General Lee escape. Uh, no, no, I don't know. Oh, okay. The, well, the story is that... Okay, um, sorry, go ahead. They had a meeting at 5 o'clock. Lincoln shows up at, let's say, 5.05, right? Mm-hmm. And so the secretary says, you know, it's 5.05. He's not seeing any more visitors until tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. So Lincoln, being the masochist, knowing that he has to have this guy, stays there till 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. Here's the president just waiting on this general. You know what I mean? So that, that level of masochism in order to win the war. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of interesting stories about the Civil War, uh, about Lincoln. That It's actually a really fascinating um, time. And I think the movie, well, obviously the movie didn't even touch upon that kind of stuff. It just touched more upon uh, upon the, the legal battle. Well, anyway, we're going off topic. <laughs> yes, we are. What Thanks, hell? Marissa. We got, we got really off topic there. What the heck? Uh, <laughs> anyway, go read. We like war. Go read. Yeah, we like war. So, uh, speaking of war. <laughs> so... Uh, one thing that was interesting that the rebel skitters uh, mentioned to Tom was that the ultimate goal of uh, the Ashanti was not to wipe out the human race, but I guess it was to prepare for the Volm. I guess to prepare for the war with the Volm, because I guess they they just wanted to do what they have to do on Earth before the Volm catch up to them. Yeah. Uh, so, which is also really interesting. It's it's almost like these these alien races are just coming on to Earth just to have their own little playground, their, their own little battle. Was well, it interesting? Uh, you know, I I don't. You know, uh, from my perspective, we didn't really get to see it too much, but um, the talk of anti-Skinner talk. You yeah, know I mean, especially because uh, obviously that's okay. Who's who's the um, who's the mole? Well, of course, everyone's going to say it's a Skinner, and so we didn't really see that full upheaval. You know, uh, obviously we talked about Pope and, and that guy, and you know there was something there, but not to the full extent that we could. Well, don't forget the humans are winning right now. They're 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 winning these battles. They have the technology. And they're able to go in and at least have a fair fight now. So I think as long as they feel like they're in control and and it's because of the alien technology and their alien allies, they have this uneasy alliance that they're not going to... They're not going to blast them too much, but the skitters know better than to just come into a camp. I mean, I mean, if you want to compare to Civil War again, or or even like World War One or World War Two with African American soldiers, even in a time when when it was st- they were still not considered, um, you know, equal. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, they were still respected during times of war, yeah. up to a point. Uh, and uh, but still, there there's no uh, there's no hidden. You know, no one's hiding any feelings. Everyone still knows how people feel about each other, but they still keep their distance. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Shoot, what was I going to say? Um, well, I'll just jump to uh, Tom and Dan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Having let's do, scotch. Let's do a segue. Yeah, Tom and Dan. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's really cool to see this relationship evolve, especially when it, when it started out with Tom being uh, the number two to yeah. Dan and now now you know it was really really funny actually in the opening when uh when Tom comes to save the day with the cavalry and uh and all of a sudden Dan who was promoted to colonel he even mentioned he was colonel all of a sudden calls Tom sir yeah which i thought was really really a really funny funny line it just said so much about where tom is right now and uh so here we are now just hanging out it's it's like let bygones be bygones dan did not trust tom in the beginning of falling skies he was the superior he was the he was the soldier tom was the guy who was a professor and all he had was military knowledge if anything of ancient history so to see, you know, of of hist- historical battles, and uh, Dan was the expert. And now all of a sudden they're equals, and they're drinking scotch. Dan's giving him a little cigar that he had for the baby, and they're comparing notes. And and well, I mean, and Dan's straight up uh, a season or two ago, Dan would have just refused to help out Tom. But now Dan's just like, look, I just want you to know, I don't I don't trust these aliens. And and Tom's having an honest conversation, saying, "I get it." And he's comparing. Uh, he he's making the comparison there for um, Stalin oh. and Churchill. So uh, yeah, I, I love this how, where this relationship has gone. Uh, Dan's a little bit more of a confidant to Tom. It's yeah. kind of switched over. So yeah, and then as far as um, Arthur is concerned, I mean Arthur. I mean, poor Arthur. I, I mean, I love Terry O'Quinn. I really kind of would have liked to have seen him on more uh, a little bit longer. But um, it was really interesting to see Tom really trusted Arthur enough not to have him locked up at the end of season two, even though Arthur, you know, wasn't really the best. Uh, I mean, Arthur did some things that were detrimental to the second mass. Uh, Tom was able to forgive him, and, and it seems to be a really good relationship. And he even trusted Arthur to try and find out about this mole. Uh, but... Uh, but it just goes to show Tom. Tom's a really good um, statistician, and he's really good with people. You know. You know what's interesting? Uh, the th- the thing that I can't get around is so. Um, you know, he he deploys the help of um, a former po- Boston police. Po- um, yeah. Uh, officer. officer and uh, you know he asks him, "Hey, you know, he, can you help me with this list of fifty people?" Mm-hmm. So I figured um, for me, he was the one who narrowed it down to twelve, but. Um, later, that didn't seem to be the case. And I was slightly confused, slightly untrusting now of, okay, what is the truth? As far as... Uh, as far as him in the role of the investigation, you know? Because, again, I, I, yeah, again, was it Tom, was it Arthur that really figured out who these 12 men were without his help? I mean, did he help... Did um did he help get it to let's say twenty and then all of a sudden Arthur figured out well to Anthony the rest. yeah well Anthony said he couldn't find the notes he couldn't find his notes at all so if if Anthony helped Arthur out I would have thought that Anthony would have known uh, had a better idea of who to narrow it down to but is he lying well that would make him the mole wouldn't it or at least helping or one of the twelve of the mole <laughs> or helping the mole maybe the mole has help I don't know uh, that's an interesting thought. And, uh, and it would make sense that Anthony is the guy that um, Arthur could have, you know, hey, you know, oh, we're meeting already or whatever he says. Yeah. You know, so it's a person that he knows, it's a person that he seems to trust. So be keeping with that. So I don't know. I'm, well, we I'm, know that the person has uh, a modified gun with Volm technology, which only the military 
and and probably the higher ups would have and uh and again like you said it's somebody that arthur trusts so enough to not be super shocked when they first open the door until they see the gun yeah so uh i have my thoughts on who it is i'll probably save that for um predictions all right um well, what else uh, would you like to th- talk about that we haven't perhaps... I mean, let's... If, if you, I mean, this is more of a prediction, but we can certainly talk about the uh, MacGuffin that is the gun. Okay. Well, that's the thing that all the aliens are after now, is, is this giant... Well, I don't know if they're calling it a gun, but I'm going to call it a gun. Well, this weapon. This that you, you want to talk about? Yeah. I mean, what's interesting... You know what is I that find- the equivalent of, like, the atom bomb? Is that what... Well, then that might be another. Maybe maybe World War Two is a good reference to keep on. Then in that case, it's possible to to keep that World War Two, the world's war. The new United States now has the atom bomb. Yeah, well, exactly. And and you know what? Atom bomb is an incredibly dangerous, dangerous weapon. So this is not necessarily a gun that's going to benefit the humans, perhaps, uh, or, or benefit Earth. It could be. It could be something a little more detrimental, as far as we know. What I find really interesting, though, and and you'll see it in our two, and we talk about our two, uh, is that so far all we see is Cochise. He's the only Volm we see. And yet the Volm are building this huge weapon, but we don't see any other um, any other Volm at all. We see a lot of skitters. Skitters mm-hmm. almost seem to be skitters were the, the most dangerous. Well, them and the mechs, they were super dangerous in season one. Remember, it took it took like a really long time to even try and kill one because no one knew how to kill one. Now all of a sudden, in the beginning of this episode, you just see them just go for a knife under the uh, under the uh, throat or under the chin, and all of a sudden they're dead. Uh, so it's really interesting to see them go from this powerful, powerful uh, species to – they're almost pawns right now. They just seem to be like just jumping in like soldiers. And there's still a lot of knowledge, don't get me wrong, but it seems to be really more about the Ashveti, uh, the mechs, those those mega mechs, or as uh, Cochise called them, I found the name, superior terrain droids. Uh, I just noticed, uh, which are the initials are STDs. <laughs> so I kind of like STDs. So, uh, but not personally. I just for this name. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so uh, so yeah. So it's really interesting to see that, and that the Vom. I guess I, maybe they're super intellectual because they have all this technology, but we don't see them helping the humans out on the battlefield. No. We see their technology, but we don't see them. Only Cochise, who who just seems to be hanging alongside with Tom, giving him. Some words of wisdom. Yeah, so that'll that'll be interesting to see, um, you know, as that develops, or if they, if they kind of have more contact, or if they're just kind of smart in the sense of like, hey, you guys don't, you know, you guys don't like it. But if you're going to win the uh, Charlestown people over, going to battlefield, that's the surefire way to win someone. Apart from maybe like having maybe one they, night of drinking with them, maybe they don't care too much about the humans as much as we think. Maybe maybe, maybe there is some uh, the people who are a little nervous about this guy. Maybe they're they have a point. Perhaps, perhaps they do. They don't care if the humans die in these battles, but they'll help them as much as possible because they're also hurting, I guess, their enemies, which is the Ashveti. But uh, let let the humans do the dirty work and the skitters and the rebel skitters. There you have it. Yeah. Um, that's a- you know, and you know what was really awesome too. I, I might as well bring up too because we kind of glossed over this when they did uh, save Diego and the other kids. First of all, Weaver's daughter is back. Uh, at least for this episode, and and Diego, her boyfriend, this. So they find him. They put him in this interesting contraption. And again, just like in season, it's amazing how this um, show has uh, progressed. It's a very different show than it was season one. Uh, the skitters were really, really hard to kill. 
Like a, a fight scene with one skater, I think, took like seven, eight minutes, you know. And then also just trying to de-harness people, the kids, was a really lengthy – people died in the first season uh, That if you de-harnessed them wrong. And, uh, and well, you know, uh, Ben still had um, spikes on his back because uh, because of the way he was uh, he, he was deharnessed, and here they go bringing this Diego into this what looks like an MRI type machine, and uh, Anne puts her hands in some weird things. You see some tethers sticking out, and she does this kind of uh, she just moves her hands a little bit, and all of a sudden the uh, harness is completely gone, separated, and Diego seems perfectly normal. Yeah, I don't even know if he has superpowers. Maybe we'll find out in a future episode if he if he's kind of like Ben and the other uh, formerly the Harness kids, and he still has some powers with him. But uh, but I thought it was a really interesting thing. And of course, Anne is the only one. Again, it's really weird. You you know what this reminds me of a little bit? Um, v. Okay. Where the aliens came down, and they pretended to be at peace, and 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 they gave some technology. They gave just enough technology for humans to go. Oh my God, you guys are so awesome. We love you. We love you. But meanwhile, they're you know they're eating rats up in their ship, and they have this you know plan to to harvest the humans. Well, that's is you know um, if you really want to dive into um, society and how kind of society could ultimately work. I mean the uh, you know one of the not. One of the most true ways of oppressing someone is to think that they have freedom rather than, okay, I mean, it's really easy to shackle someone up and then, you know, they don't have freedom. But if, if you give them the concept of freedom then or, yeah. If you give them what they think is free will, but they're really still oppressed, then you you've won. have willing, yeah, you have willing subjects. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and, and, and uh, that will ultimately fight for you in some sort of fashion, you know? And it's exactly, it seems like maybe that's what the Volm are doing right now, too. Yeah. It seems like that's a very good possibility of what the Volm's plan is. By the way, I have to give credit to that notion. Um, if you really want to see that, the notion that I just said in, in full uh, fruition, Fast and Furious 6. Not even joking. <laughs> Not even joking. Are you serious? Wait. Not even I'm joking. I'm trying to think. All right, wait. Explain this to me. I'm the, trying to fix it. It was in Fast and Furious Six. They brought it up. In this, they brought that up in Fast and Furious Six. I must have been. Just, Maybe it was in fi- f- Fast and Furious Five. It's the last one, the other one with with uh, the Rock on the same side as everybody, and they they're in England. And actually, you know what? It could, have been, it could have been Fast and Furious Five. I'm just saying. It was one oh, are you other. talking to what happened with his girlfriend? No. Okay. No, 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 right, never mind. No, no, okay. Well, you know what? We're diverging again. Sorry. Yeah, but you know, it's place. it's one of those movies. If you want to see the full scene, one day with I'll Letty. No. No. Okay. no. okay. Never mind. Oh my god. All right. Let's get into predictions before we get more off topic. <laughs> and now you're after Buzz TV predictions. You got a lot. You got to watch a lot of shows and a lot of movies when we're talking about Falling Skies to understand what to say. Only I would bring in Fast and the Furious Six <laughs> or Five as a reference to anything. <laughs> Uh, all right. So which, anyway, I was going to uh, reveal kind of a spoiler alert, but no. Okay, and don't really a spoiler alert. Um, all right, I guess I'll go. Uh, so I think the mole is, and we've just, I, I don't think it's a, somebody we're used to seeing. I think it's somebody new. Uh, so I don't think it would be anyone you'd assume. So my guess would be uh, Gloria Rubin, who plays Melina. She was the one that was walking, and she was also uh, was a uh, Gloria Rubin. People know her from ER, which is what Noah, Noah Wiley, Tom, was also from. He's best known from ER. So she, you saw her walking with uh, Nolan. Uh, I'm sorry, with Tom. Uh, when uh, when Arthur came by and Arthur said he had the twelve, so she was walking with him right before he ran off to um, right before Nolan ran off to uh, to check on Anne, and uh, so I, my prediction is it's her. I don't know why, but just the way the gun was being held and and just the way it looked, it felt like it was a female. So my gut says it's Melina. 
It'll be interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I'm not confident in this prediction, but it would be interesting if it was Hal. Ooh, that would be interesting if it was Hal. Uh, you know, considering. Yeah, that's we. Oh wow. You know, so we'll see. Um, mm. I don't know. Apart from that, I don't have too many guesses. Um, I know we're going to be playing Monopoly after this. <laughs> That's family tradition. That's what you do. Um, but anyway, That's what you do when Arthur gets killed. While Arthur's getting killed, they're, they're getting Park Place. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, so it, it's very funny to me in that respect. Uh, again, we will recap uh, part two, which is collateral damage of the season premiere, even though they technically are two very different episodes. Um, in the, and also, we will have Daryl Christian uh, joining us for this panel. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, you guys remember him. I know a lot of you fans like him, so hopefully you guys like us as well. You know, I hope so. You know, write in, comment, things like that, and let us know. Uh, and uh, obviously, one of the biggest things is uh, share your opinion uh, with us. We love hearing your theories. If you have any questions about Fast and the Furious 6, this is the uh, correct after buzz to type those comments in. I know, it is. And uh, <laughs> I will answer the biggest, uh, you know, there's a scene in, in, in 6 where you're like, how the hell is this possible? I will explain it to you. Really? Okay. Okay, now I want to know because that is, in my opinion, that is truly science fiction. If it's the scene I think you're talking about, I know it is the scene. It's okay. probably the scene. Anyway, <laughs> uh, in the meantime, of course, follow us here at AfterBuzz TV. I'll give a shout out to Marissa. It, it, what, what the hell is it? Marissa TV. Marissa Ser- Serafini TV. Serafini TV. Serafini TV on Twitter, and you, uh, sir. you can find me at Nando Val on Twitter. And check him out on Hannibal. Check him out on Arrested Development and Defiance. It, Defiance. Uh, he it. just finished up the following and. Uh, yeah, I'm wow. sure that's a lot of shows for my man. I sound tired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired. You must and you do tired. all these shows, and you do all these shows too. You're the executive producer of these things. Yeah, so you, well. you watch an AfterBuzz show, it's with Phil Zetek's name on it. So there you go. There you go. Yeah. So in the meantime, fans, I uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Have a good weekend, uh, or whatever you guys do. <laughs> Be safe. No STDs for you. <laughs> Good night. Express your inner those are the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect. From Bing.com, executive producers Maria Manunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principal. 